we start in faith every Sunday morning, okay? <laughs> God is good to us. Um, hope you're doing well. As many of you probably are, have joined, uh, you know, you're like, hopefully your family is like us, and you guys are trimming the tree and getting everything ready for Christmas time. Um, as we do that, we always find, every year, we, um, we find pictures of Judson from years previous that we've put away, and they're Christmas pictures. You know, he's got a little Santa hat on or something. And you, it's kind of cool. We see all the pictures, and we kind of reflect and think back on, oh, you remember when he was that little? And if somehow there's some kind of amnesia that makes me forget all the stuff that was difficult when he was little, okay? I wish he was little again. No, because you sleep now, man. That's what I really need to say. And, and you get puked on a lot less than you used to, so it's fantastic. But you look back and you reflect and you think about those days, and he goes, you know, we have him every year. We have a Christmas picture of him from every year of his life. And I just think back, and it just, we, we, we took some moments just kind of going through them, probably went through them two or three, four times together, Amy and I, and just re- reflecting and thinking about things and how they used to be and remembering those things, and it was good. Now, I want today, this marks, this sermon marks a time for us of reflection. We have spent 11 weeks either in the book of Job or talking about trials from the book of James. Some people have approached me and said, is everything okay in your life? Because <laughs> you keep talking about suffering and trials and difficult times. And he's like, are you okay, man? I said, I'm fine, you know? But I tell you one thing, it is pre- preparation. It's come, some of the sermons have come out of fire. And we're, obviously, they're all pointed from God's Word. And God's Word speaks to us on all different spectrums of where we might be in our life. And so, I, you know, you may be in trial, you may be at a trial, but I'll tell you one thing, as we have been going through this time in the book of Job and in the book of James, talking about suffering and trials and tribulations, God has brought a lot of hurting people to this place. And God has ministered through his word to many people who are in a tough time or are coming out of a tough time or just wanting to know how to be prepared for a time to come. And I want us to reflect on that today as we kind of bookend our time of suffering because it's been 11 weeks basically we've talked about that. We are going to get a break from that until chapter 5 of James. And so we're going to bookend this with verse 12 of of James chapter 1. In Job, when we look back at it, we saw that we saw in Job's Job in the book of Job, it's basically pointing us to the fact that God is there in our sufferings. He's sovereign, he's king, and it points us to the fact that we go through everything. The point of it is to see God in his glory and all of it. In the book of James, it's different. Obviously, you want to see God at the core of the suffering and understand that he's there with us in it, but it helps us learn how to navigate the, our sufferings how we practically navigate our su- in the times of suffering to where we can see God and glorify God in these things. And so if you would, we're going to have this up on the, sh- up on the screen, but if, if you have your Bible, please turn to James chapter 1. We're going to begin in verses 2 through 4 and bookend it with verse 12. So James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And then verse 12, 
verse 12, if most of you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, most of the time verse 12 is connected in the same thought as verses 13 through 15. I think it's more likely that this is actually, it should be a sentence paragraph all by itself that connects really well with verses 2 through 4 and completes the idea of the first 12 verses in James. That's important because this is actually a summation of all that he was saying. Count it. When you, when you, whatever you go through trials and difficult times, the command is to consider it, to look on it and consider it joy. Knowing this, that God is working in your trials to produce steadfastness, which means you don't give up. And not only that, through steadfastness, he's working to make you complete and perfect and like him. He is working in your trials. And that's why you can look at him and say, I know this is tough, this is beating me down, but you can look at it and say, I know my God is at work, so I don't have to be crushed by this. And so you look at it and you say, this is joy. I can know something beyond this. And then he, the idea of steadfastness, the words pick up back in verse 12. So if you would look in verse 12. Verse 12 said, blessed or blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. This word could be blessed, could be translated happy. Happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. And so we saw we heard in the first couple of verses, it's consider it joy when you meet various trials. And then it bookends these ideas of, of suffering and trial with this idea that says there is great blessing in remaining steadfast in trials. So it's like this. There is great blessing. There is great reward. There is something greater for you. When you remain steadfast, you are going and aiming towards something. We're coming up onto the time of year. January 1st rolls around. Most of us will make New Year's resolutions. For many of us, that will be in relationship to getting a beach bod, okay? Or at least does not be as beach ball-like, okay? That will probably be our resolution. And so what will we move to there? We will talk about working out and exercising and eating right, okay? And however long, maybe that'll last for you this year. I hope it does. Maybe it does for me as well, okay? But with the thought here is that why do you go through eating right and exercising. Because there's an end game that seems better than eating the food now, is the idea. If I look better, my health is better, I will go through those early mornings at the gym so that I can reap this reward. And so here is the idea in the scriptures that there is a great blessing for those who remain steadfast, those who do not waver, those who do not give up, those who do not turn back when they have trial, the, 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 there is a great blessing to that. It's a blessing that is now and a blessing that is to come. And so I want you to know about this. You do not, this is our main point today, do not give up. Do not give up. Keep striving in faith. Even if you're just having to crawl inch by inch, do not give up, turn back, Throw in the towel in your faith because here, is the, here, here it is. There is great blessing in remaining steadfast in times of trial. You will miss out on these great blessings if you do not hold fast. So that brings to the question, what are you talking about? 
What kind of blessings are you talking about? Are you talking if I hold out long enough and have enough faith that God's going to deliver a brand new car in my driveway? If I hold out, hold fast, and, and, and I have enough faith that I'm going to win that Powerball like those people in Macon County, okay? You know, if, if I hold out, is that what it means? No. Those are small pleasures. God has greater pleasures for us. There are small pleasures that are nice, but there are grand pleasures that God provides that are amazing and are worth it. And so we look in verse 12, and that's actually the, the text for our whole sermon today is going to be in verse 12. And it says this. Here's the first, what, you, what type of blessing are you talking about? The first one is the blessing we have now, and that is the happiness, blessedness that comes in remaining steadfast. Look with me in verse 12, the first part of it. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. This word blessed could be translated happy. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 when he's talking about the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit, for they should be comforted. He's talked about blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are those who, are, who suffer for righteousness' sake, for, suffer for righteousness' sake because they will be comforted. He talks about this. This idea of being blessed is the idea of happiness. It's the idea of contentment. But it's not the same as what we think about as happy. Our view of happy is too small. Our view of happy is circumstantial. Our view of happy changes within moments. I've said it again, I'll say it again. This is one of the, this is one of the great pictures of how our happiness that we talk about, the happiness in our vernacular works, okay? I have a cookie, therefore I am happy. I dropped the cookie, therefore I am not happy anymore, okay? I know that's lowbrow, but you can think about it in anything. I have my health. I'm happy. I don't have my health. I am not happy. That is not the idea of Scripture. The idea of Scripture does not say, in verse 12, it does not say, blessed is the man who does not go, uh, whose trials are over and doesn't have him anymore. What does it say? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There is great blessing for those who remain steadfast under trial. This is a blessing, this is a happiness that, that goes over and above our circumstantial nature of, the circumstantial nature of life. This is a happiness that comes from being deeply rooted in God and his promises. There is a joy and a happiness that can exist in life's worst storms. And it has to be rooted in God. That is the idea of being blessed. And it is something that we can have now through the storms and trials of life is this blessedness, this happiness that transcends our circumstances. You've probably heard it in different ways, people talking about a peace that passes understanding, and that really is what it is, that you can look at a situation and all of Hades is breaking loose, and you can see in it hope. Not because you're just so positive, be, just, just having a positive outlook, it might help, help some folks, okay? It really might. But it will not do anything to change your circumstances. Hope and positivity are not the same thing at all. Hope is rooted in a person and in promises. Positivity is rooted in sunshine and rainbows and pie-in-the-sky ideas and a Care Bear mentality about life. Like, we care. Everything's going to work out. No, it probably won't. It probably won't if you're relying on your positivity. 
blessedness, this happiness that ha- can, ha- can be ours and it is ours in Christ in difficult times is rooted and grounded in God and his promises. It is one of those situations where you can consider it joy because you see God is at work in everything. You may not see how he's working, but you know that he is working. When bad things happen and trials come, we are absolutely taken by surprise most of the time. At least I am. I I really, I don't know why I get so like just completely, I can't believe that happened. Wow, how can my water heater explode? I don't even understand. That really did happen. Thank God for Olivia and, and the McAvoys. They came to our rescue, and we were drowning. We were leaving vacation, okay? We had seen Mickey and all of his friends, and he, he decided to remove all the money out of our wallets. And uh, it was willfully given for the most part, and we had a good time, and then we get a phone call. It was like, your hot water heater is, is busted. I was like, oh, no, are you okay? Because they were, Olivia was standing at her house, you know, and watching the dog. And, and she's like, yeah, we took care of it. But then you got home and you got to buy that one. And I was like, so I can't believe it happened. Yes, you, my house is almost 17 years old. Of course it would happen. It's been shooting brown sludge out of the pipes. And I was like, yeah, it's got to be something else. Moron. Why are we shocked? Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. There is a blessedness that comes through faith in God and his promises that transcends our trials. And you can only know it if you have, if you have saving knowledge of God. Because your freedom from your turmoil is not the goal. It is your development and faith that God is working for you to know and love him more because that is your greater good. It's not to be problem-free. It's to be with God, to know God. Blessed, this is something that we can have now. We can have a happiness, a blessedness, a joy that supersedes our circumstances. And who is blessed? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So here is the idea. The one who is the recipient or the one who has this blessing is the one who remains steadfast under trial. What does it mean to remain steadfast? Remaining steadfast has the idea of standing your ground, has the idea of not turning back. It has the idea of you're being firmly planted and you are not moved. How can, we, how can I illustrate to you that? What came to mind was the movie Officer and a Gentleman from 1982. I'm not advocating this movie, and many of you may not have seen it, so it's okay. There's a scene in it. Richard Gere is in the movie, and he is going to flight school in the military, and he has done something horribly wrong. Okay, I don't remember what it is because that movie is from 1982 before I was born. I've seen it a long time ago. I don't remember exactly what was wrong, but the drill sergeant was mad. Now, drill sergeants are usually mad, but he was really mad, okay? And he, did, he put this guy through all day and all night through this arduous punishment where he was having to run with a rifle over his head and he had to run around in circles. And then after he got done running, they would run on the beach. And after he got done that, they were doing sit-ups and leg-ups. And there's a situation where the, the drill sergeant looks at him and he says, you need to, yeah, I don't remember what he, exactly he was getting at, but he was like, you need to, you need to give up. 
and he was saying he said some acronym. I don't remember what it was, but you need to give up. And he's like, I'm not gonna give up. Okay, he's sweating and he's he's in the middle of doing sit-ups and he's yelling back, I'm not gonna give up. You need to give up. I'm not gonna give up. You need to. You got the point, right? And he looks at him and he says, That's fine. I'm just gonna I'm gonna you know I'm gonna sign the papers and you're out of the military. And he looks and he just goes, I got nowhere else to go. You remember? <laughs> if you have, you can YouTube it. That is what it means to remain. Do you remember when Jesus in the Gospels, he, was, he had a big crowd following him, and he goes out and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. And everybody was like, that's weird. And a bunch of people checked out. And he asked the disciples, 12 he'd been running with, he said, you guys going to leave too? And they said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that is what it means to remain, to stand firm. I got no to go. Where am I going to go but to Jesus? How else can I give up? Is it going to make it better? No. How, how, where else can I go for salvation? Where can I go? I can't go anywhere. I have to stay. There is great blessing for those of us who just put one spiritual foot in front of the other. Because in it, we can see God and we can know his peace and his happiness and joy. Blessed is the man, is the one, blessed is the man who remains steadfast and movable under trial. There is blessing now that can be had. It's the peace that passes understanding. It's a happiness that transcends our circumstances. It comes from us being rooted in Jesus. And then it, he gives us a reasoning why. He doesn't, say, he doesn't just give us that there's blessing now, but he talks about there is good to come. And he gives us the reason why we have blessedness now. And it, it occurs, and if you will, it's really important that you know, underline. This word is important in the Greek language, and sometimes we get rid of it because or don't think about it because it, it's just a small word. It's a three-letter word. But it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. If you have your own copy of God's word, you got it on your app or whatever, highlight this. Four. F-O-R, not F-O-U-R, four. Four here, when you see this, this particular word that is translated for here in the Greek, it, it's there to give you a reasoning for why this is happening. Why is the person who, is, who stead, remains steadfast, why are they blessed? The reason is this, why are they happy? Why is it happy for someone who, to remain steadfast under trial? Why? And here is the answer, here is the reason. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. So why can you be happy in times of trial and remain steadfast? Because the one who remains, as it says, because, here's the reason, when we have stood the test, we will receive the crown of life. It is what is set ahead of us that gives us hope to deal with what's in front of us. Let me say that again. It is what is ahead of us that gives us hope and faith 
to deal with what's in front of us. And you see this in Hebrews chapter 12 with Jesus. It says that he, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross. And that is what is the deal here. It, it, the reason why we can know peace now, this blessedness, this happiness that transcends our circumstances, is because we have a hope that is future and it is secure and it is the crown of life. What do we mean when we talk about the crown of life? Well, when a race would be won in ancient times, the victor of that race would receive some, tor some form of a crown. Now, this is a different word than the, when the word Paul uses um, when he talks about a crown that athletes would win, but I think the idea is similar. The idea of a crown is that, hey, you have conquered, you've, you've, you've run the race, you have conquered, you have made it through. How many of you have seen those bumper stickers that just say 26.2, and, and what is that supposed to, to signify? Hey, I ran this. There's another, one time we went down to Disney World, and it was the Princess, Princess Marathon time, and they give all the people who run that a medal that says, hey, you've won this race, you've made it through. And for most of the people, by, by, and when you're talking about a marathon, winning is not dying. Okay, and winning is finishing. Okay, all right. There's all there's all like one or two people that there's only one guy that wins, and usually that guy is like an hour and fifteen minutes ahead of everyone else, right? Because he that's all he does. He's like a professional marathon runner, which that sounds like an awful job. And and that you just think about that. There's this sticker that says, "Hey, I've run this." The crown of life. Understanding this, the the crown of life. The the idea of it is that there is a. It's it's the victory, of overcoming. Okay. Not only that, when it says of life, it doesn't mean it's a crown that comes from life. It talks about and it and in this sense, it it defines for us what the crown is. The crown is life. Do you know what is ahead for those of us who remain steadfast in our faith? It is the crown of life, which is eternal life in its fullness. There is a family member that we have in uh, my extended family. I heard this story the other day. I had not heard it before. Who, for a long time, his, his mom was a godly lady who feared the Lord and loved Jesus. She was a gun-toting probate judge from the middle of nowhere in Georgia. She was a, and she was a holy roller. Love Jesus, man. I love this lady. One of her sons grew up, and he's a great guy. But he, um, he did not believe like his mother. And he was, at best, agnostic towards the things of God. And one day, him and my father had a conversation. And in that conversation, he said... Randy, I have, I believe now. And one day I woke up and I looked around and I said, this cannot be all that there is. There must be more. And, and that is reality. There is more than just the physical. There is a life to come. There is the spiritual realm. There's one day, then, then those two things will become one when the new heavens and the new earth come. But I want you to hear, hear this clearly, that the reason that we can walk with 
a happiness that transcends our circumstances and our difficulties is because we have a crown of life before us, an eternal life, a life with God that is so far, so far, it's so much better than what we have now, and it's so much more full, and it's so much more real, and it's so much, it's, it's richer than we can experience and know now. And it's, it's for those who remain, endure. And it's, a lot of us get this picture of heaven and eternal life that is, is, is Looney Tunes-esque. Not Looney Tunes-esque in the sense like you got Roadrunner in it or whatever, or, or Wile E. Coyote, but have you, do you remember the pictures of heaven and eternal life that you saw on Looney Tunes? It's this floating on clouds and playing harps and having wings and, and this celestial by and by that seems very much different and and just strange to any of our experiences. That is not the Bible's picture of heaven. The Bible's picture of heaven is, is not like that. It's an eternal life with God. It's a much deeper, richer, fuller life. It's all the joys we have now with, with none of the problems that we ter- currently face, including our depression and our difficulties and our, our inabilities and our limitations because of our mortal form. It is something greater this crown of life, eternal life is more than pie in the sky heart playing. It is not that. It is a full, deep, rich life with God at the center as life was intended to be. And that pushes us forward because it's promised. If you look in the past, this is for he, when, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Why can you be blessed? Here's the reason. For when you have stood the test, you will receive the crown of life, which is rich, eternal, full life. And I, if, you, if you have a low view of heaven or if heaven does not sound good to you, then you are missing the God of heaven and you have a low view of heaven because you see it as some kind of di- removed idea and not something that's a reality of, of it's not rooted in the good news of the scripture scriptures. It's not some sweet by and by. It is a reality of a transformed world. All of the good now heightened and all of the bad eliminated. And it's being with God without this separation. And we go on and we see this. It is, in verse 12, for when he has stood the test, he will receive this. So, Again, it talks about being steadfast. So we've talked about it. Our main point is this. Do not give up. Remain steadfast. Don't be moved. And then stand the test. I want you to see this. That what does it mean to stand the test? This word actually has with it some other ideas that we need to know. Um, the first thing is this. To stand the test means this. It's, it's the idea of you stood the test and you have been found to be genuine. You stood the test, and then you've been found to be genuine. It can be illustrated by thinking about going to the store and paying with cash if you ever have it. Like, it's the very few times I have cash, it seems like, I mean, I have most of my stuff, if you're like me, I put 25 cents on a debit card because I never have cash. And when I do have cash, usually it's on vacation, it seems inevitable that when I give the person the cash, they are skeptical that my cash is real. 
and and, and it's it, my cash is usually green. It's not orange like Monopoly money. Okay, I don't. But you know they get that little pin. You know what I'm talking about? They got a little currency pin, and they take it out, and they swipe it on the 20. Or if, you have, if you're blessed to have the 100, they hold it up, and they look at it through the light, and they're, I guess they're looking for some kind of demarcation, some mark in there. I'm not sure. I'm not a currency expert. Rhonda is not shaking her head no. She works at a bank, so I think we're in good, good spots here. I always am nervous when they do that. Are you? I, I get like really like. Oh, I don't get, I want to, I'm already getting my 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 like defense up if it's counterfeit. Oh, I didn't know. I don't. I don't put money in my house. You know, and like I'm gonna end up arrested. I, I feel like at that point. But they they mark it, and then when it when it doesn't react, it's approved, right? When it stands the test, they accept it. Well, this money stand the test was used of coins and of metals that would be tested and then shown approved. So the idea here is that those who remain steadfast are tested and shown to be genuine. Shown to be genuine. See, I want you to know something. When we talk about rewards in the Bible, we are not talking about a salvation that comes from doing good things. Our salvation is rooted in Jesus. And I'll give you an example here that we can see real clearly, is that when we have stood the test, we will receive the crown of life. The idea is when you stood the test, you will receive. We are in the gift-giving time of year, am I right? You've probably bought uh, you probably bought some gifts. You've probably bought uh, some things for other people. And how many of us talk about gifts as if they are earned? Anybody? Someone doesn't get you a gift? Unless maybe, you, you know, you're keeping tabs. And you're like, well, I gave them one, okay? Well, most of the time, most of the time, a gift is not earned, right? If it's earned, then it's a wage, your boss doesn't come in on Friday or when your direct deposit comes in the whatever into your bank account. Doesn't send you an email. It's like, you're welcome for the gift, do they? No. <laughs> no. It's supposed to be there. Why? Because you work for that sucker, and now they're supposed to pay you. It is an earned thing. The idea here is that the crown of life is to be received by those who have stood the test. It is not this. If you remain steadfast and faithful, then because you have done that, you have earned the crown of life. No. When you remain steadfast and faithful, it shows the genuineness of your faith in Christ. That's what the word tested here means. So when you remain steadfast, you are showing the reality that a change has taken place in your life. Do you hear me on that? Remaining steadfast and being is not giving up, not turning away, remaining in your faith, even if it's just an inch by inch, even if it's just standing firm, even if it's just falling and coming back. If you remain in that faith, it's an it's 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 a sign of the grace of God that He has made you new, that He that that you are His, 
And that if you do this, if you go through the whole process and you show your faith to be genuine by remaining steadfast, which is all of the grace of God, you will receive from him, you will not earn from him, but you will receive from him the gift of eternal life, which is here the crown of life. So nothing that we have is earned except for sin and death. The Bible says the wage of sin and death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We know that. And so we got to see this here. When we get a reward, even though it does come through us remaining steadfast, it is only, the only reason we can remain steadfast is because we have been bought and sustained by grace. And then the promises come through us. Yes, we work it out, but it's all of grace too. Eternal life is a gift. Remaining steadfast is an example that you are genuinely his. You can think back to the parable of the sower and the seeds. And the one that remains of all the seeds that, that fell on the ground are, is the one who will be saved and will bear fruit. That's what we see here. Remaining steadfast is a sign that you have genuinely been born again and have genuine, sincere faith in Jesus Christ. And for the one who does that, they will receive this gift of eternal life, which is far greater than, than this life here. It's far more sweet, it's far more real, and it's far more enjoyable. It is the blessedness of knowing God. And it informs us now, so we have this happiness now that transcends, and we have this a future. This, this verb here that says will receive is a future verb, and it talks about the time when we will either leave this earth by death or leave this earth by flight, if you will, and we'll meet Jesus in the air. And that is the time when this will be received. Until that time, we wait. We wait for it to come. Now, finally, I want you to notice this. This is very important. Go back to verse, we're going to read the whole verse 12 again. There's only one. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For, here's the reason. When, we ha- when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Which, talking about the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Remember, we don't earn crown of life. It's a gift we receive. Yes, we must remain remain steadfast to get it because it shows the genuineness of our faith. So this is all of grace. Remember that. But note this, that the crown of life, eternal life, is promised to those who love God, which this should change the way we think about sharing the gospel with people. For example, the promise of, of the crown of life is not for those who want to go to heaven when they die. How many evangelism presentations start off, if you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? to go to hell I mean you might tell a lot of people to go to hell when you're driving you don't really mean that I hope but who wants to go to hell that's that's like saying do you want a sandwich yeah I want a sandwich you ask me anytime I want a sandwich who doesn't want a sandwich that's ridiculous. Do you want to go to hell? No. You ask, you ask the most ardent atheist, you want to go to hell? No. 
I don't want to go to hell. Well, why we start our presentations with that sometimes? And I'm not dogging that because there's a legitimate reason for that. But sometimes you just wonder, like, is that it? You just want to escape punishment when you die? It's like, it's like asking a toddler to, to, to have remorse over what they did. They're going to tell you they're sorry to get out of trouble, but they don't care. Right? You've been around toddler? If you, want to, if you want to see the idea that sin nature is real, have a kid, right? Or go to the mall right now, okay? No, it does not say, it's for those who, when I, the, the, the promise of God, it does not say that. It says, which God has promised for those who love him. It does not say, God has promised for those who merely want to escape judgment to come. It is for those who love him. And so I want you to understand this so clearly because here it is. If you do not love God, you are not promised the crown of life. I don't care if you've walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, been to church your whole life. If you don't love God, you don't know him and these promises are not for you. We do not naturally love God on our own. Do you know that, right? We are by nature's alienated and enemies of God. We do what we want to do. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all go our own way. We do it on our own. We do not have love for God in us. Naturally. However, part of of the work of salvation in our lives is not just that, oh, we got out of hell free. We got the get out of hell free card. It is that we have been given a holy affection for God. And you can see this as an example in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. See, here is the genuine nature of the new birth of somebody who has genuine faith in Christ. You go from being indifferent to God and his word. You going from indifferent at best, hostile probably if you're honest, is the reality, to people who want to obey and want to love and want to serve and want to worship and want to hear God's word. And it changes from indifference and maybe even hostility to love and sacrifice and great joy in our God. See, I want you to know something. Temporal pleasures are small compared to the love of God and knowing God. Loving God is a sign that you have been born again. If you do not love God, no matter what religious ceremony you have participated in or what religious deed you have done, if you do not love God, these promises are not for you. Oh, but beloved, when you love God, oh, these promises are sweet and they're true. And they make, and the love of God compels us to continue in faith. Because we do say, where else can we go for this kind of love? Where else can we go for this kind of redemption? Where else can we go where, where a God would come and die for us? Where else can we go? The promises of God are for those who love God. And so if, you, if your heart is cold, 
and you do not have any love for God, these promises are not for you, and you are, you are unsaved, and you are in great peril. But for those of us who love God, heaven is exponentially greater because the, the goal of heaven and the goal of the crown of life is to have eternal life with God. He is the goal. He is the one to be loved. He is the, he is the treasure that we seek. He is our love. And it compels us to keep on keeping on. I know by God's grace I got to meet an elderly saint of God in these parts. And she has been enduring great trial since the first time I have met her. And she is waiting patiently to receive the crown of life and getting to know her over the several months that I've been here, or year and several months that I've been here. I've come to know some things about her. She lost her only child hours after it was born. She lost her husband at a very young age. She has suffered, now she is well into her 80s, and she has suffered the loss of all of her family members and most of her friends. She struggles with finances tremendously. Without, and without the assistance of God's saints, she would not even have enough food to eat. But in God's providence, the people of God found out. In my dealings with her, I leave far more encouraged by her than I think I am an encouragement to her. Because every time I go in, she does call me son. Every time I walk in, she might not remember my name. I don't even know. She calls me pastor or son. I don't care because I, I love that lady, okay? She calls me son if she wants to. Every time I walk in, she talks with you. She, she tells me how she talks to God about everything, from her TV not working right to her problems. She just says, oh, I mean, she talks to God. She talks to Jesus like he is right there in the room, and, and through his spirit, he is. He is. She speaks to him all the time, and she constantly tells me this promise, even in her, who, in her poverty. She says this, Psalm 37, 25, she tells me all the time, almost every time I see her. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have, seen, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. And every time she does it, I was like, I just want to do that. I'm like, yes, okay? I forget how white I am, and I'm just like, yes, ma'am, uh-huh. I want an organ to play, because that is right. Because she has been young, and she has been old, and now she's this place where she is afflicted, and she is lonely by God, but yet she has her Jesus, and more importantly, her Jesus has her. And she says, I have been young and I have been old. She tells me this every time. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. She is saying this promise in her poverty. And then she says, she tells me almost every time I see her that she is ready to go home. Almost every time it kills me. I don't want, I, 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 it's kind of against us. I want her to be here for us, but I know it's better for her to go home. And then she just, keeps, she just keeps on keeping on, loving Jesus and waiting for him and his promises to go from promises to sight. And I tell you something, that happens all around with the saints of God. That is what it, is, what it means to remain steadfast 
It does not mean that you can fix all your problems, but it does mean that you stand fast by your Savior, and through every trial, you see His hand. And in every difficulty and anxious night, you see His promises. And though you may be beaten down and perplexed on all sides, you remain steadfast in your hope that transcends your circumstances, that there is more to come, that there is a crown of life waiting for those who have been proved genuine. And how are you proved genuine? By keeping on, keeping on. And she loves her Jesus. And it reminds me every time I go to love my Jesus. Oh, friends, we have to walk in the promises of God and remain steadfast in our love for Him because there is such great reward for us ahead. It is far greater than what we've left behind, and it is far, it far transcends what you're dealing with now, and it is a sure, it's a sure thing for those who love God. I have been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. Let's pray. Oh, how rich are your blessings to us, oh God. How undeserving are we how much grace have you lavished upon us that we would be called the sons of god that we would have a inheritance in our father's house oh that we have a crown that is awaiting us until that day when we when our faith is sighted and we receive that crown of victory and of life we pray that we would continue on loving you. Jesus, you came, you bled, you died, and you are risen, and you are coming. You are our hope. You have made us promises, and you keep them. Oh, God, I pray right now for the saint in here who is struggling, who can barely put one foot in front of the other, Give them grace, God, and let them know and be encouraged that they should not give up because you have more ahead of them than what is behind, and your promises are bigger than what's in front of them, God. God, for, this, for the one who is far and does not have the love of God in their heart, please use your word and your spirit to make them alive, God. May they repent and believe and know the love of God in Christ. God, we want to love you and be faithful and steadfast and immovable. We thank you for your promises. They keep us going. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.